Welcome to the Female CEO Show. I'm your host, Courtney Quinn. I'm a corporate dropout turned serial entrepreneur with a passion for helping female business owners step into your power and reach your full potential in business and in life. I'm on a mission to empower more women to become their own boss while teaching them how to do it in a healthy, scalable way that supports your dream life so that you're running a business and not owning a business that runs you. Whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur or you're still toying with the idea of diving into your own business, you're in the right place if you're looking for tools to support you as you are navigating the world of entrepreneurship as a woman, because I'm going to get real with you on how to do so. Let's dive in to today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to today's episode of the Female CEO Show podcast. Today, I am joined by Kelsey Willock. She is the co-founder and CEO of Aura Finance, a mindful money management platform. She is also the author of Not Your Boyfriend's Investment Advice. Prior, she was a Goldman Sachs vice president, serving the world's top hedge fund clients and an ambassador for launch with GS, the firm's billion-dollar commitment to investing in diverse entrepreneurs and investment manager. She is also a marathon runner, creative writer, and loves anything outdoor-related. And today we're going to be diving into investing, tips on getting started, managing your emotions around money and investments, and kind of how to improve your relationship with money, as well as her founder journey and startup of her business and app. I am so excited to have her here with us today. Kelsey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's kind of weird hearing that bio back <laughs> at my own little imposter center around it. <laughs> I love it. I want it. It's very impressive, by the way. And the fact that you were what, like you're 29, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. When I, I read your bio, I mean, I found you on TikTok and then like, we got this going. I read your bio and I was like, damn girl. And then I went back to your TikTok and was like, wait, she's only 29 and you've accomplished all of this. It's incredible. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I feel very, very lucky to be here. Absolutely. So tell us, kind of kick things off for us. Like, tell us about your journey, your story so far. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll go back to the beginning. I'm, I'm I'm from Chicago. I love the Midwest, although I've been in San Francisco for about six years now. And I ended up going to school, Wake Forest in North Carolina for entrepreneurship and English. Always knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial and creative. I think the two are very highly interwoven. Um, and while I was at school, I worked at a number of different startups. So I worked at an ed tech company that helped connect high school students to college students. I worked at a fintech company, although fintech was definitely not a word at the time. One of the projects I helped them work on was marketing a synthetic trading environment to teach college students how to invest. And I also worked for Rent the Runway. I was testing their subscription model on college campuses, which eventually became their entire model today. And so at the time, I was actually renting my closet out to other students, which was an incredible learning journey and experience. I was managing the operations, marketing, um, and learning how to really truly be a business owner. And at the time, I, I also really wanted to do something more entrepreneurial post-school. I didn't know what that looked like. Maybe it was joining an early stage company or maybe becoming an entrepreneur myself. Um, I even, during school, I started a small company called Kaleries where I was selling kale chips in uh, little brown bags. Um, 
which was incredibly fun. But like many graduated college with a ton of student debt and massive financial anxiety. So didn't really think taking the entrepreneurial leap was something I was ready for. Hmm. And I was also going through a lot from a mental health perspective. I had $150,000 of debt. I had interest rates all across the board. I think I had eight or nine student loans. And so I felt very alone. And also when you're experiencing something like that, it's really hard to feel energized. And being an entrepreneur is so much about being energized and, and having the energy to push through things. Whereas I was, I was looking at my bank account thinking, how the heck do I get to a net worth of zero? I wasn't thinking, how do I build this next big business? And so I was very fortunate enough to get an opportunity to intern for Goldman Sachs and ended up staying for six years. And at the beginning of my journey there, I had a colleague at the time that to be totally transparent, had a complete breakdown to told her what was going on in my life, how I felt completely worthless. And I couldn't even turn to anyone or talk about what was going on in my life. I felt so much shame around it. And she really taught me the power of working smarter, not harder for your dollar. And that was the beginning of my journey in not only pulling myself out of debt, but starting to invest. And so rather than take every extra dollar I had earned, I actually refinanced my student loans and was investing the rest. So by having this more long-term mindset, I was able to start accruing wealth, uh, counteracting my student loan interest rate and digging myself out of debt so I could get to the place I am today, which was in a financial position where I could really take a leap of faith, take a bit of financial risk and, and start the, to solve the problems that I so deeply care about. Oh, awesome. So what were you investing in? Like at that point, um, just for anyone listening, who's like, I can't even imagine like investing now, like what were some of the things that you were investing in to kind of help like counterbalance that? Yeah. So it's a really great question. And so I think one of the hardest things to do is get started because no one knows how much to get started with or what to get started with. And so that's actually what we do at Aura. We help you really get started and we're an investment manager and we help you align your investments with your values. Um, but I, I'll use that for a later part in our conversation of how we invest and I'll explain what I was doing before. So um, Goldman Sachs has a wealth advisory arm and that wealth advisory arm gives suggestions on how they think you should be invested. So I, with my colleagues, started looking at the research about how the ultra wealthy were investing and I wanted to do it for myself. So we built a spreadsheet together, which essentially helped me build a portfolio in the type of portfolio I also needed based on my risk tolerance, my time horizon, my goals. And what it was essentially just an Excel spreadsheet that I would look at on a bi-monthly basis each time I got my paycheck and I would rebalance my portfolio every time I did to make sure I stayed on track. And I was really invested in a number of ETFs and bonds. So I know I'm gonna get people maybe lost in the nitty gritty here, but bear with me. Um, I think building a portfolio is like building a closet. We all need to get dressed in the morning, but we all have different styles. So I was finding my style along the way. I also, I needed to make sure I had my underwear on. So I was also building what I consider your emergency savings account, which I consider to be your underwear. Without it, you're completely overly exposed, um, but you also probably don't want it to be the majority of your closet. So I built this foundation of cash and a high yield savings account and then started investing the rest. So the first investment I started to make was putting money into my 401k. I used a target date fund. And then I started putting money into an IRA 
And then beyond that, I was investing into a brokerage account, um, into a number of, again, ETFs and, and bonds. Oh, awesome. I love that analogy about the closet and like, we need to build up our wardrobe. We need to have like the essentials, the underwear to keep you safe. Oh, I love that. Okay. So that was really helpful. Thank you for sharing that just for someone who is kind of like maybe in a similar position. So tell us, like, let's kind of segue in to Aura. Tell us about kind of what Aura does and about like getting started with investing. Let's dive into it. Yeah, so Aura is a mindful money management platform. Their whole ethos at the company is we want to really heal your relationship with money so you can make better decisions and, and build wealth. Mm -hmm. Now you're probably wondering, what does that actually mean? So we use things like behavioral psychology tools and coaching methodologies to help you unveil your relationship to money. So one way you can take a sneak peek of what that feels like is going to AuraFinance.io and taking our money personality quiz which can help you really understand a bit more about your relationship with money. Your, your money story is actually developed by the age of seven. And, and wow. we at Aura believe that it's important getting to know your money story so we can help you write the next chapter. Other things we do are we help you step off the sidelines and start investing. We also do it in alignment with your values. So the way we really get started at Aura is first we have a call with you. So you'll just have to sign up on our website to get access to the wait list because we're at a bit of capacity on our calls right now, but um, we're opening up slots soon. So be on the lookout. And during that call, we'll ask you about your relationship with money. Um, has anything helped your leading causes of financial anxiety? And then we'll invite you to make your first investment in alignment with your values. If, if that's something you want to do, mm -hmm. if you're not sure how much to start investing with, we actually have a coaching session called our Saving and Investing Optimizer, which can essentially teach you how to save, spend, and invest your paycheck based on the 50-30-20 rule, which essentially means that 50% of your paycheck goes to needs, 30% to wants, and 20% to savings. So needs being your housing, your healthcare, um, wants being shopping, travel, savings being the money that you put into your cash account versus what you put into your 401k, IRA, and so forth. Um, and when I say align your investments with your values, I think it's incredibly important that, um, you know, I think that the best investment plan is the one you can stick with. And the one that you can stick with is the one that you feel good about. So if you don't want to be invested in firearms or tobacco companies that, or you can filter it out of your portfolio, or you can do things like filtering on climate activism or gender inclusion. You can even get as granular as, I really don't like Jeff Bezos. I don't want Amazon in my portfolio and you can filter it out. And the way we do that is through a strategy called direct indexing. So rather than put you in what's called an ETF, an exchange traded fund, which is a basket of stocks, we build you that basket for you. So it's highly customizable, um, which you can also change at any time if, you're, if your appetite changes and, and you want to fill the basket with other things or remove other things. And so cool. that's really uh, a little bit more about Aura. And the only other thing I would mention is we also have a community. So you know that you're not alone. The beginning of my journey, I felt so deeply alone. Um, so at Aura, there's a space where you can converse with other members on our platform, engage in the educational resources that we have together. Um, so we can really start to demystify conversations around money and, and help you get started. Incredible. That sounds so cool. So Kind of walk us through, you know, you're at Goldman Sachs and you still have that like pull 
in your chest, in your heart that you want to do something entrepreneurial. Walk us through what this looked like, kind of like the birth of Aura, of you leaving Goldman Sachs and like taking that leap. What did that all look like for you? It was not linear. I, and I had a couple things that helped me take that leap. For one, as you can probably imagine, I'm kind of a finance nerd. And so I wanted to feel safe and secure in my decision to take this big risk. So I actually started saving to take a leap about 2019. Okay. And so I had saved up enough money on the sidelines that I knew, okay, I think I'm going to be able to pay myself for a certain amount of time to really give myself the space to give this business my best shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing was I, I wanted to land on an idea. And I think a lot of people want to land on ideas before they take the leap of entrepreneurship. But at the time when I was trying to land on that idea, I had about 160 of them. <laughs> um, and I had an iPhone notes page, which just had a, a ridiculous amount of ideas where some came from uh, electronic RVs to euphoric beer to one of them actually was the idea of helping particularly women get access to financial services products. Um, And I actually started a different business. I started a business called Stuck in Notes, which was all about illuminating the thoughts, hopes, and dreams you have stuck in your notes. And I turned it into a zine. So I went out to crowdsource other people that might have ideas that they've just felt, they have felt unable to pursue and they've felt locked inside their notes. And I ended up collecting hundreds of these notes from all over the world, particularly from women of all ages. And we published a magazine. I I was like, oh my gosh, I love entrepreneurship. I can sell this thing. It's so illuminating. I feel so, I feel so empowered helping other people that it actually led me to have the confidence I needed to take that true leap of faith, leave Goldman and, and pursue one of the actual ideas that I had stuck in my notes. So I think that was really the impetus for me. It was, I needed a bit more confidence and just trying at the time it felt like this small little hobby. It gave me so much confidence that I needed to take a, a true, a true risk. Oh, absolutely. I love the permission that you just gave with that story because I do feel like so many people are like it, like I have to come up with like that one idea and like the one business that I launch is going to be the business that I retire with. And it is such a roller coaster. Like things will ebb and flow and you'll pivot. Or like you said, like you will get a new sense of confidence or like you'll experience new things, which will allow for new ideas to come through and being comfortable to kind of like let some of those older ideas like fall to the wayside and kind of pivot into new things. So what did you do with stuck in the notes? Like, was that something like, how did that end an aura begin for someone who might be kind of stuck in that phase or is wanting to pivot? So I actually still do stuck in notes, which I know sounds kind of psychotic to do something like that. But as an entrepreneur, particularly in the finance space, I find creative outlets so important. Yeah. Um, so even if something feels so unrelated to what you're doing, sometimes the most unrelated things are actually the most important because they can get you back to that creative space that you need and re-energize you. Um, oh, I so I that. still do stuck in notes, but I have a team that helps me manage it. Um, shout out to all of them because they have been absolutely doing the heavy lifting and, and making it uh, continue staying alive. So for me, uh, when I finally felt this confidence that I needed, I was also seeking community. 
I had never really been a part of the entrepreneurial space as it pertained to startups uh, post-college. I was living in San Francisco and really my network was only in finance. And so I was seeking out what's this space that I can learn from people that have done it. And I ended up finding a program called On Deck. And at the time they positioned themselves as helping founders go from zero to one. So helping refine your idea and really make that idea into something. And I was also seeking a co-founder. I, I really did not want to do this alone. Mm. So I ended up quitting my job in January, 20, February, 2022, joining the program, going all in full time, just absorbing as much as I possibly could, giving myself space to learn. I was also to be really honest, it was being really critical of myself, that why wasn't my idea perfectly refined yet? Um, and I eventually found my now co-founder, Courtney Carden, who at the time was working on a Duolingo for financial literacy. And, and her and I were trying to tackle similar problems from completely two different angles. I being, mm -hmm. how do I expand access points to underrepresented investors? She was trying to help educate people. And we just realized we both didn't want to do this alone and that we could really learn a lot from one another in a partnership. Mm -hmm. And we ended up doing a research project together to understand what held people back. And we quickly learned that it had less to do with access or education. And it was really an emotional and behavioral problem that we were trying to solve. Oh, people are yeah. intimidated. They're financially anxious. They lack the confidence they need to get started. And we wanted to build a place like Quora where we could help them develop that confidence, build more of an abundance mindset and step off the sidelines. And, and we've been at it ever since for two years. <laughs> That's incredible. So how has the kind of like co-founder relationship worked? Um, because I know some people will get into business with like partners and it ends up kind of crumbling. Like what have you guys found to be like your kind of secret sauce to success in working well together? Yeah, I think, uh, what we've learned so much is that it is a deep relationship. It is one that you share so much. And I'm in a romantic partner relationship and it's very similar. You know, your yeah. business is so highly emotional. It's constantly changing. It needs love. It needs attention and it needs work. And so her and I have very intentionally gone about our relationship and, and leveraged professionals. You know, so we actually have a coach that we work with on a monthly basis who can help us understand how do we understand each other better? Because her and I have you know different personalities. We have different backgrounds. So understanding where your partner is coming from is so important. And how do you how do you work cohesively together? Um, and I think that has been so invaluable in, in terms of evolving our relationship in terms of my own personal relationship. You know, I think it's so helpful for even when you're in the best of relationships to, to foster more love and growth and go to things like therapy. And, and that's what, that's what Courtney and I do with coaching. Um, and I would say also uh, trusting your partner is so important with their own responsibilities because it's so easy at a startup for everyone to be doing everything. Mm -hmm. And so her and I, although we're constantly still evolving and I think you're always are, and you always should be, um, but saying, Hey, I trust you. I know you got this. I'm going to step away from it has been, has been really valuable in terms of being able to do more. Um, whereas it can feel really easy. I don't know if you've ever been in like a group project where everyone wants to do everything. Um, a lot less gets done. And then when you designate and delegate a lot more can happen. 
Absolutely. I love that. And just like finding that trust and like, okay, like this is, this is your piece to own and like, I'll do this. And you're right. Like that's so much more productive. And then you guys can kind of come back together and be like, oh, look at everything that we've accomplished as opposed to like, why is this taking so long for us to do this? Cause like we have so many opinions coming together. That's awesome. And I love how you talked about just like really continuing to grow your relationship. Like just because when you came together and things worked, like that doesn't mean that that was like the pinnacle. There's always room for growth and how you compared it kind of to like a romantic relationship is. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. So powerful. <laughs> so powerful. Like there's always room for growth in a romantic relationship. And the emotional aspect of business is so, so real. So that was really, I, I love that. Uh, that was really powerful. So tell me a little bit about, you kind, of, you kind of touch on like our relationships with money. And you mentioned that our, our money relationship is kind of like solidified by age seven, which is terrifying to think about if I'm being honest, that's absolutely wild. So what are kind of like some of the different relationships that you see people having with money that might be preventing them? from feeling comfortable in investing or like holding them back from growing their wealth. Yeah. Um, so there's so much to unpack here. So I'm trying to think of how do I want to start, but one of the things that we talk often about is your mindset and how it impacts your wallet and a little bit of a facade that we've created in the world of finance, which is a lot of people say they don't know enough or they don't have enough to get started when in reality, it's really, they lack confidence. So there's actually even been research studies that have suggested people will say they don't have enough. And then the research team will actually look into their bank account and see what they have going on. And regardless of their socioeconomic background or actually how much people will still gravitate toward that excuse. Yeah. Um, so I think um, building more of a confidence and abundance mindset is so important in helping to lead us into the direction of taking the actions that we need. And I also think, you know, uh, we're noticing a lot of people have avoidance around money. Money's not necessarily a conversation we all want to have. We don't want to necessarily have that conversation with ourselves or even with others. We've created money as this space that's so taboo to talk about. So that's why at Aura we have community. We even have bags that say, friends, don't talk about money. And we've scratched out the don't because we're really trying to encourage conversations around it to start to break down that it is a taboo subject, that it isn't something that we should want to talk about. And as we do create space for these conversations and narratives, we really think that will help combat that avoidance that people have. But I think it, I'd be remiss not to mention that our relationship with money is so deeply interwoven with our parents. And so my, my co-founder is actually a certified money coach, and she's taught me so much about why the parental patterns that get passed down to us affect our relationship with money. So some of the things that we do at Aura are exercises to understand what are the behaviors that got passed down to, from our parents onto us that, that lead to both positive and sometimes negative situations. So as you learn more about your relationship with money, we can help rewrite that narrative and start to make better decisions for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think we've, we've created enough space to even have these conversations because it's been taboo for too long in space. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I know the, like the women listening to this podcast, like we love conversations around money, around money mindset. Like those are always some of the most popular episodes because I do like, it is, it's like, it's like taboo. It's like secret. And then when you hear someone talking about it, you're like, oh, like there's a podcast I can go listen to about this. Like, awesome. Because that's a, it's a topic that people just don't touch on, which is so wild because I feel like, I mean, we all, we all need money to live and to survive. And it has become like something that we just really suppress. And it's like, why? Yeah. And I think that we've, we've, this narrative that we've created has, has, has really snowballed on itself. I have a good founder friend. Um, her name is Anna. And she recently said to me, I can't understand why we've created this space in finance where everyone feels they need to be a nutritionist in order to eat healthy food, or you need to be a doctor in order to take medicine. In the context of finance, I need to be a financial expert in order to participate in the system, yeah. which is untrue. You don't need to be a nutritionist in order to eat healthy food. You don't need to be a doctor in order take ad bills. You don't need to be a financial expert to participate in the system, but building the confidence to be able to take that leap is a challenge. And I think it, it has so much more to do with your mindset than anything. But I do want to mention, it doesn't mean don't educate yourself. I absolutely want everyone on this that's listening to educate yourself from a finance perspective, but the education is not just the, how do I evaluate a stock? It's what do I think my version of a rich life feels like? What was my parents' relationship with money? What do I want to get out of money in my life? And I'm not just saying, you know, to, to say you want to make more of it, but what does rich really feel like for you? And, and why do you do the things you do to build wealth? Um, I think those are just as important as, as learning about financial markets. Definitely. So you, you, you're touching on mindset and like abundance mindset what are like some practices that we could implement to kind of help work through that? Like those prompts that you just gave, would you recommend like journaling on those, like talking them out with a friend? What are kind of some practices to help us start flipping the script on that mindset? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to explain why this is so important. Then I'm going to get okay. exercise. So um, when you make decisions from a place of scarcity, it can often lead to irrational decision-making and irrational decision-making can lead to suboptimal results in the cycle of stress and scarcity can repeat itself. But when you make decisions from a place of abundance, it can lead to rational decision-making and positive results. And that feeling of abundance can repeat itself. And so scarcity and abundance, I think, have gotten slightly a bit of a bad rep and feeling very woo-woo, but it's actually deeply rooted in science. Um, you have two different sides of your brain. You have the sympathetic and you have the parasympathetic. And so when you're making decisions from a place of scarcity, that is more of your sympathetic side of the brain. That's when you hear things like money, your palms sweat, or you might tense up in your chest, or um, you might want to avoid the conversation entirely. That's actually something deeply ingrained in us as humans. It was we have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic side of our brains to protect us. But as we've moved into this world where resources are abundant, uh, that feeling of scarcity doesn't necessarily serve us. And so small things that you can do are, particularly when you have maybe a hard conversation around money with your partner coming up, um, or you have to look at your bank account and go through your spending, 
breathing exercises can actually be really positive. Um, so just helping reset uh, your breathing for about three minutes can be really helpful. So again, that can feel really woo-woo, um, but again, it, I just wanted to set the tone of it is rooted in science. So giving yourself that space to step into abundance is so important and resetting your breathing is, is, is a part of that. I think also recognizing when you're feeling scarcity is really important um, because maybe you can say, hey, maybe I'm, I'm feeling too tense in this moment to have this conversation or to step into looking at how I've been spending my money need to go on a walk before doing so. Uh, Courtney has this fabulous idea where she says, you know, I think some of the best times to confront your finances are in a tub with a glass of wine um, and making it a positive experience because in your brain, your brain will adapt to saying, hey, maybe this is actually a safe space. So yeah. those are a few things I think that everyone can do very directly and without, without any added expenses, um, an easy way to step into abundance. I love that. It's so funny that you mentioned that, like the the scarcity and abundance mindset. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Um, when I was in corporate, I I was fresh out of college, so I had like that broke college student mentality, but then came into like a very decent salary and was so tight with my finances. I was so stressed about money. I like was always in that broke mindset. Like, no, I can't do that. I don't have the money to, I can't buy that for myself. I don't have the money. Uh, like I wouldn't even buy myself like a coffee and because I was so stressed about money and there was no reason to be like plenty of money was coming in and plenty was going into savings. And now I have kind of like grown more into that abundance mindset and being comfortable spending the money and for me personally, like, I don't find myself stressing about money anymore in that way of like, I can't spend this or like, I'm so like, I can't spend that. I have to worry about my savings. I have to make sure I'm saving being in a more abundant mindset. Like I'm comfortable spending the money and knowing that like, I'll make more tomorrow or like spending that $5 on that iced latte is going to bring me like a lot of joy in this moment. And that's worth it for me. And I used to just be so uptight about money and actually like working through that has made me enjoy money so much more. And like the idea of it overall, not be as stressful by actually like spending more money and enjoying the money that I have. Yeah. And I would just, you know, say to everyone that, that hears that and thinks, oh gosh, that sounds so silly look back at the science around it, uh, look into the sympathetic versus the sympathetic side of your brain, why it's so important. Um, because I think we can all resonate with, you felt like you overspent the past month and maybe you went on a big girl's trip and everyone went to, went a little bit overboard at bars and restaurants and things. And maybe you purchased yourself something that you didn't think that you actually deserved the following day. You're feeling a ton of anxiety around it. You might not look at your bank account. You might not confront mm -hmm. a situation that just happens. And I think that's because of that fear and anxiety in the situation that you're, you're in. Whereas if you said, you know, hey, that was a decision I made and I'm going to be okay tomorrow, you might actually be the person that looks into your bank account and says, let me be more aware of what's going on so I can be more mindful in the future rather than say, I'm such a bad person for making that decision in the first place, yeah. um, which that kind of thinking can lead to the avoidance that truly harms us. 
the spending that you had that prior week wasn't really what what harmed you. It's 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 the fallout of that more rational decision making that we we fall into when we when we step into scarcity. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. I love that. I would love for you to touch a little bit on kind of like managing our emotions on money, like dive deeper into that a little bit, since I know that's something really foundational about the work that you're doing, because it is such an emotional thing. And when you just said like, we feel guilty or like we beat ourselves up, we don't want to look at our bank accounts. I was like, oh, like that feeling of you just saying that, like we beat ourselves up over the purchases that we make. And then we avoid looking at our bank account for two weeks. Like that I feel that in my chest. Like that's so heavy. Talk to us about kind of like managing, regulating our emotions around money. Yeah. Um, so Warren Buffett once had a quote that was, how you behave matters more than how much you know. And it's entirely true. And that's also entirely interwoven with our emotions around money. <clears throat> so the stock market is a deeply emotional space. It looks like this constantly. Yet as humans, we're, we're taught it's really not great to be emotional around money. So we're expected to, to be this line. And it's, it's, it's not really fair because as humans, our emotions do regulate up and down. So I think recognizing that is, is the first step. And using certain tactics like putting your investments on autopilot can really help you control the emotional relationship with them um, mm -hmm. by removing that emotional decision-making. I actually, when I used to work at Goldman, I worked uh, mainly with hedge funds. And I don't think a lot of people know this, but the life cycle of a hedge fund can average anywhere from five to seven years. And in some cases, it can even just be two. And the reason for that is oftentimes hedge funds, a large majority of hedge funds, or many hedge funds, for instance, um, make more active decisions. And when you're making active decisions based on what might be going on in the market, you're more susceptible to emotional decision making. <clears throat> And so when you remove your ability to be caught susceptible to that by putting things on autopilot, you can strip away the emotions. And that's why so many passive portfolio managers outperform active. 90% uh, of passive portfolios actually outperform active. So wow. when I, I think that when people think, oh, all my smartest friends are the ones that are actively day trading and whatnot. Um, they're actually not outperforming you. The ones that are just sitting on the sidelines and not being emotional investors are the ones that truly outperform. That's why, and you probably talk about your, this on your podcast, so I, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but women are typically better investors because they are less emotional investors. Although they constantly give themselves so much flack for, for being too emotional, women are often told they're too emotional, but around money, they're actually less than men, uh, which is why they, they outperform when men they do invest because they typically stick, they stay the course. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also why I said, I think oftentimes the best investment plan is the one that you can stick with because it, it matters less that less that you are following the market and everything that might be going on in the market and all the different news that can be so shiny. It really just matters more that how you can stick with a plan. Ooh, I love that. I love hearing that. That's awesome. So Okay. So women are typically better investors. Tell us a little bit about maybe like why we should start investing for someone who doesn't have any investments right now. Like why, why should we start? Yeah. Um, so actually 55% of Americans don't invest and wow. uh, many of which are women. 
And the reason investing is so important is, is very interwoven with inflation. So the buying power of your dollar doesn't just go up over time. So every single year, uh, inflation happens. And typically it's in about 2% year over year. Maybe it's four. Recently is 8%. <laughs> so even when you use things like a savings account or even a high yield savings account, which are reaching rates up to four, even 5% right now, that's not reaching 8%. And so the importance of being invested in the market is to make sure that the value of your dollar is appreciating. Um, all investments involve risk and no uh, returns are guaranteed, but in the history of the stock market, and when I say stock market, I am talking about the S&P 500, which is the top 500 performing companies in the US. Um, that's typically gone up 10% year over year on average over the past 100 years. Now, maybe some years that will go down, maybe some years that, that increase is not the same, but it is an average over time. And what I can guarantee is that kind of rate in terms of cash is not consistently correlated to the pace of inflation. So you just keep money in cash. Um, unfortunately, the value of your, your dollar eats itself. Um, and I think the importance of investing is to make sure your money is working as hard for you as you work for your money. Ooh, what a timely conversation to have right now, too, with the state of inflation. I feel like that. That, that message and that reasoning will hit home even harder right now that like, oh, okay, that's that's wonderful reasoning. And I have, I feel like I've never actually heard that explained in that way. And even that like matter of factly, like you need your money to be working as hard for you as you are for it and making sure that it's not losing its value. Oh, I love, I love that. That's so powerful. So <laughs> for the entrepreneurs who are listening, right? We don't have like 401ks, like we don't have a company to match them for us. What do you recommend kind of being a good investment to kind of get into or to have on the back burner as entrepreneurs who kind of don't have those things that are built in as like company benefits? Yeah, and I'll carefully answer this question because I want to make sure everyone knows on this call that what I say is not financial advice. It is, um, I'm simply sharing my, my frameworks around my knowledge in finance. Um, and you should, always, you should always consult either an advisor or leverage resources and tools that are best for you. Um, but entrepreneurs experience anxiety at higher rates than um, most people do. And that's probably no secret because it's often a financial strain to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And one of the leading causes of financial anxiety for entrepreneurs is financially related. So I think getting to know your money intimately is so important in helping absolve that anxiety, coming aware of your situation. Um, oftentimes, particularly me, I'm constantly thinking about what's my person, what's my runway of my company. Entrepreneurs should look at their own personal runway. How much money do you have in your bank account to sustain your life? Are you paying yourself? And are you putting aside money for the future? While we don't have 401ks as entrepreneurs, there are tools and resources such as something called a SEP IRA that you can leverage. And so I would absolutely look into that if, something, if that's something you're considering. And another thing I would say is I think a lot of entrepreneurs I talk to will say things such as, you know, I'm going to make so much money being an entrepreneur. I don't need to think about all of these different vehicles for retirement. I'm going to have more than enough. Um, 
don't let that be an excuse. I would say, even if you are going to make hundreds of millions of dollars, in which I hope you do, and I believe you will, it's a hedge. It's a what if. It's helping you get protected for the future. It's it's like retinol. It's loving your future self today. Um, and so, and if that's not enough convincing for you, think about it as a tax advantage. Um, so it can reduce your taxable income. And so if you're someone that is, a, is someone that has been in corporate for many years and about to take the leap to entrepreneurship, you might be taking a significant paycheck cut. Um, it might be an interesting time for you to consider um, you know, rolling over your 401k into an IRA. Um, but again, those are, those are things that you should absolutely consult both a tax advisor and a wealth manager on if those are decisions that you're, you're looking to make for yourself because everyone's financial situation is so, so deeply personal. So anything that I can say, there is no, there is no rule and framework. It's, it's really about what fits you, but don't ignore your personal finances as entrepreneurs, the, the moral of the story. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like that's such an important conversation to have and one that just really doesn't happen in this space. And I love what you said about like so many entrepreneurs don't think about the future because they're like, oh, like I'm going to make so much money in my business. We won't have to worry about having a retirement fund because we're going to be making so much money. And exactly, if we really look at things like the actual reality of that, like that is just kind of dangerous. Um, and you don't want to be put in a position where you are having to work into your like nineties to keep bringing exactly. in income because you don't have anything even, to fall back on. Even if you're setting aside a hundred dollars a month, you can find it. You can find it. <laughs> so, um, love, love your future self today. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So Kelsey, tell me a little bit about what is in store for Aura. Like what, what is the future hold for you? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think, you know, you're going to see a lot from us over the next year. We are still in beta. So we are very early stage company. If you're interested in joining us as a beta tester, you can sign up for our wait list. And we're going to be starting to let more people onto our platform which is exciting. Um, so if you sign up for that list, you'll be gaining early access to the product. Um, and I think other things that we're, we're looking to build is, is really to leverage our founding member community to learn what they want to see from us. And so we're deeply committed to the earliest members of our product and listening to them, seeing what they need from us and building around them. And so the community building aspect is so integral to how we think about running our business. And I think in terms of big long-term vision, uh, Aura is really looking to help people improve their relationships with money so they can make better decisions. And even broader and more grand of scheme, I want that to mean, how do we help drive debts down? How do we help more people live their version of a rich life? And whatever that means to you, how do we help people bring back optimism in a time that so many people feel pessimistic about the future. I hear things constantly like, I can't live like my parents' generation, or I'll never be able to afford a house. And I hope to bring back a sense of we can do certain things if we carve a path. It's not to ignore that I think it's very hard right now for a lot of people. And I think those challenges are, are both systematic and, and, and ones that I want to help be a part of the system in overcoming them. But changing our perception and our perspective and becoming more involved in the system is how we're going to change it. And I think we can do it together. 
Oh, how exciting. How exciting to have such like a big vision with so much impact that like will help so many people. I am completely on board with everything that you are doing. How exciting. And I'm so excited that we were connected so early on in the birth of your business and getting to watch it grow and see everything that you're able to accomplish and how many people you're able to impact moving forward. And as you come out of beta is so exciting. Thank you so much, Courtney. I'm so appreciative of being a part of this conversation and, and for you giving me the, the space to share our story. Of course, this is incredible. So tell me, Kelsey, how do you balance it all? Like, how are you finding time to grow this incredible, impactful business and still making sure that you are taking time for yourself and staying sane throughout it all? I'm going to say something controversial, but in the spirit of my honesty and transparency, I'm going to say yes. my truth, which Bring is that on. I don't. Okay. <laughs> um, I think... And when I say I don't, I think there is sacrifices that I've had to make that, you know, whether it's uh, like it was, it was Memorial Day weekend this past weekend and I was working on Saturday and Sunday. That wasn't ideal. Yeah. Um, but then on Monday I took it off. I went to the botanical gardens and I spent time with my partner and I had an amazing day. And I think it's about finding, and for lack of a better word, I think this is so grossly overused. Balance is important. And when I say balance is, is finding time for yourself and letting yourself shut off. Um, even my co-founder took space last week and it, and we were just talking about like how amazing it was for her and to be disconnected from her phone. So I was like, on Monday, I want to be disconnected from my phone. I don't want to look at it. And so that helps me get recharged, but it's really hard to be an entrepreneur and it's, um, you make a lot of sacrifice and there are things that, uh, I've personally sacrificed both financially, uh, giving up the income I made at my corporate job. Um, having less time, it's been so massively impactful in my own personal life. Um, and I, I feel like I've gained so much from it, but I've also lost some things from it, especially as it pertains to time. I don't work out as much as I used to. Um, I'm looking to get back to it, but I don't think I am anyone that does it all. And I don't want to create the facade to your community that I do. Um, and I also struggle with my own anxieties constantly. I was, I was going to an event yesterday. I was like, why am I going to this? There's just people that are better than me there. And I was, uh, I was feeling really anxious to step into that community alone. Hmm. Um, and I just allowed myself to be anxious in that moment. And then I stepped out of the car and I walked into the room and I was okay. But I think that everyone goes through that. And um, I've had a lot of other women in my life that have said, you know, hey, I'll go to that event with you. And so I had, I saw another girl that, um, was just really looking for community when she was there and she didn't know anyone. And I went over to help her and what she doesn't know. And I don't know if she'll hear this, but um, she also helped me in that moment. So yeah. I think uplifting one another and, and leading with more honesty and, and saying, we're not always going to be okay. Expecting that is untrue, but when we're not, we, we can find help in each other. Oh, Kelsey, the rawness, the realness. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. I appreciate the candor. And I love what you said about, you know, finding that other woman who was looking for someone in that space. So often I feel like as entrepreneurs and as women, like we feel so siloed and alone and we're like, I am the only one feeling this way. But like, I feel like everyone feels a little bit of that. And it's like, who can you find in the room that is also needing someone? Like, 
there's always someone who you can find to like lean on and who is going through the same thing as you are, even though it always feels like I'm the only one experiencing this. Like there are always people around, especially other women that we can find in this space as business owners to be able to lean on. But I really appreciate how you were just like, I'm, I'm not doing it all right now. And I've had to give up a lot. And that's just so real, especially in that like startup phase of a business it's hustle. It's grind. Like your business is your baby and there are sacrifices that have to be made. And I really feel like right now, kind of in part, thanks to TikTok that like entrepreneurship is being very glamorized. And there is like the, the anti-hustle culture, which to a degree I agree with, but the other part of it is like, you can't expect to build this incredible business only putting in a few hours of work a day and then sitting around eating bonbons and getting your nails done like the rest of the time because you want to have that freedom. And it really does take like a lot of grit and like you said, sacrifice to build something. And then once you get that foundation laid, then amazing, like kick back, relax, enjoy being the founder, but it like, it takes so much to get there. And I just appreciate you being so real about that. And I think the weird, the thing about TikTok that I find so interesting is when I first started looking at other entrepreneurs, I was seeking out what do they do that works and what can I adopt from them? And what I've learned over time is how do I learn from them sharing their stories to share my own and what wow. is authentic to me um, rather than how do I do what everyone else is doing? Because you actually probably know way more about whatever business you're about to pursue more than most, maybe you more care more than most. And you had an experience that had made you more of the right person. So I think sharing your story is about getting comfortable with your story and getting comfortable into owning that story and trusting yourself that, that you're the right person to be sharing it or doing something. Um, and there's no one else that's going to be the one to tell you how to lead it right yeah. you can learn your, your your job is to be a sponge but at the end of the day you are the sponge you create the sponge you're still the meat you're the bones um so to so trust in yourself more Ooh, absolutely i feel like we've really been taught to not trust in ourselves and if when i had started my business if i had just listened to my gut instead of searching outwards for the answer I would have been so much further along, would have accomplished more because I just would have been building my own business instead of like building a business based on other people's advice and suggestions. And I ended up with a business that didn't feel like mine or didn't feel aligned to me. Oh, I, if anyone takes anything from me, like let it be that to just build your business the way that you want it to be built instead of looking right. outwards for that. I love, love, love that you brought that up, especially with TikTok today. So mm -hmm. one last question for you, which kind of will like tail off of that. What is one piece of advice that you have to give for the female entrepreneurs who are listening? It can be anything, but maybe something that you had to learn the hard way that you think by sharing might help another woman kind of avoid making that same misstep.
support your friends. Mm. And I think the reason I say that to other entrepreneurs is this is it's a space where it's, it's a lot of supporting other people and, and lifting one another up. I think it's particularly challenging to be a, a female entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and so I would say when people ask you like, hey, can you take this survey or you can sign up for my wait list? Do it. Yes. That will come back. That will come back to you. And that doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything because your time is valuable. But, you know, as I have supported my community, my community has given so much support back to me. Um, and being an entrepreneur can feel so isolating. I think doing those things um, can bring you back into the community and, and, and remove the isolation that you can so often feel. So, yeah, I and that's that's less about yourself and more about others. But I think what drives so much happiness is, is, is giving to others and, and being a part of this broader community. So it, it'll fill up your cup more than you know. Oh, absolutely. And just having those people that you can lean on, rely on, and that you know, if you get put in a position or like you need some help, like you've had their back, they will have yours. And I see something going around on Instagram every once in a while. And it's like, support your friends' businesses the same way you support the random celebrities' businesses who don't even know you exactly. exist. I a thousand percent agree with that. And be careful not to, I mean, that's my tangents always, you know, it's not to create all these transactional relationships, right? Mm. Like, um, you wouldn't probably treat your romantic relationships like a transaction or your friendship. So your entrepreneurship friends are deep and powerful yeah. and, and treat them as such. Um, so make sure when you're doing those things to support one another, it comes from a place of authenticity and care, but it, oftentimes just submitting an email or submitting a quick survey means so little to, to you, but so, so much to them. And, and you will notice that as your own entrepreneur and CEO, that it like when that comes back to you, it, it's so, so meaningful. Yes. Oh, I love that. Oh, what a wonderful way to end off this episode. Kelsey, thank you so much for your time today. I love how much we were able to dive into from like finances and money mindset into women and entrepreneurship. This was such a powerful conversation. Please let everybody know where they can find you, how they can connect with you, how they can sign up to be on the waitlist for Aura. Tell us everything. Yeah, so um, everyone, I would love if you signed up for our waitlist, you can sign up at AuraFinance.io. Uh, also follow me on TikTok. I'm just Kelsey Willock. If you go to my TikTok, there is a way to bypass the waitlist. So you'll just have to go to my link in bio to see. Um, that's where you can book a call with me and my co-founder to get onto Aura. Um, I would also highly suggest everyone go subscribe to my co-founder's newsletter. It's at AuraFinance.io, and all you have to do is search for our newsletter. It's called Your Weekly Aura, where we talk about nourishing your wealth and well-being. I, I would highly encourage you to sign up for Courtney's letter, newsletter because it's, it's so interwoven with money mindset or emotions around money, and she's an absolutely brilliant writer. Um, and if you're interested, I write also a blog called Not Your Boyfriend's Investment Advice. Uh, on Substack, which you can just easily Google. Um, I don't write as frequently as Courtney, which is why I suggest everyone sign up there first. Um, but you can also sign up to my monthly-ish blog. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Amazing. We will have all of that linked in the show notes as well. So you can sign up for the wait list. You can yeah. find Kelsey on TikTok. You can sign up for the Substack, for the newsletter. All of that goodness will be right there for you. I cannot wait to see what you and Courtney are able to create with Aura. And I am so happy you guys are having this conversation around money mindset around investing. And I am so happy that we were able to have this conversation today. Thank you so, so much, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me, Courtney. This is just wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Female CEO Show. And I will catch you on the next episode.